0: Your master? Satan. The lord of flies. The fallen angel. The devil. She is the devil's concubine! You understand me? Understand me? Yet, we may still save her precious soul. But, not on an empty stomach something my friend you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight welcome to this week's episode of horror weekly the best portrayal of the devil on screen we asked half a million horror fans what their favorite portrayal of the devil on screen was and we're here with the answers there were thousands of votes cast and the winner it's not even <laughs> close it was a massacre um, at least triple the votes for one performance than any of the other ones managed to garner. And it's interesting because in a lot of these cases, there are the performances are very, very little in terms of screen time of the movies they're in. It's kind of like the Hannibal Lecter effect where you remember him being in Silence of the Lambs a lot, but it's only like 18 minutes of screen time or something like that out of more than two hours. There were really only three TV devils that had any kind of significant upvoting in our polls that we did. And just stepping back and thinking about that for a second, that's fairly remarkable. I mean, TV is pretty old. To have only three performances that really stuck with people enough to mention in a vote like this out of uh, 85 years of broadcasting – That's fairly remarkable. I can only imagine it's because of how taboo this subject has been for so long. So the three TV devils that got votes were Mark Pellegrino, Supernatural, Tom Ellis, Lucifer, and Robin Hughes as the eponymous The Howling Man in the Twilight Zone episode of the same name. Out of these three, it's the Howling Man performance that is by far my favorite. I recently rewatched it, and it's still chilling. It's been very stormy recently where I'm at, and I'm pretty high up in a building, so the wind howling at the windows sounds a lot like the howling of this demented devil in this episode, and it's got me, I got to admit, a little rattled. There's two things that really work about this performance to me. One is the father of lies part of the devil mystique really comes into play in this episode because the howling man is pretending that he's not the devil. He's been imprisoned by like a religious order, I I guess you would say. And um, the world has relatively settled into peace after world war 1 and the thesis of the episode is that that's partially due to the fact that the devil's been imprisoned and can't roam about the countryside so he's howling now now the innocent person who comes to the religious order getting lost on a hiking tour in europe in a storm and begging for shelter. And also he's very ill, so he can't really carry on his journey. The religious order doesn't want to take him in. He's hearing this howling. And I think that's one of the coolest things about this episode is that he interprets it as someone who's in misery and in pain. And I guess that's true, but the devil's in misery and in pain Not just because he's imprisoned, but because he can't be out on the world causing the same kind of misery and pain. I mean, worse, way worse than whatever he's going through. Um, He wants to cause howling of anguish and pain and loss across the world. And he's howling because he can't get out to do it. But that's not how the poor, innocent lead character of this episode sees it. He feels sympathy for these cries. But the devil in this episode has to lie his way out of this trap by using this poor, innocent um, guy. It's really the plot of Ex Machina, (laughs) strangely. (laughs) like He's using this one person for escape and the authority people, the authority figure in Ex Machina, it's just Oscar Isaac. In this case, it's a few of them. Um, They know uh, a deeper truth about what's happening here but it's the devil's skill at lying that's really highlighted here so needless to say he's freed there's a pretty good transformation scene especially for the time in which this was filmed and then he escapes and the the man who let him go is immediately recognizes how bad he screwed up and he is in ang- he's broken by the fact that he's going to be responsible for all the death and despair that's going to be unloosed on the world from his action of freeing the devil. And he plays it magnificently. You really feel it. So this works for two for a few reasons, but the two main ones are the lying uh, feature of the devil is really well done, and the consequence is really well acted, so you, you feel it. Now in terms of films, there's really only about 10 performances that got huge chunks of votes, any other performances are, you know, either in the single digits or it's just didn't get much voting at all. So we're only going to be dealing with mainly 10 performances here. So let's work our way up from the bottom of the voting. Our first nominee for Best Portrayal of the Devil on Screen is Gabriel Byrne in End of Days. And I want to give some separate awards as I do these. So I'm also going to nominate this movie for Worst smoothie in a movie ever. There is a scene in this ridiculous movie, and this movie is even worse than I remember, although Gabriel Byrne's performance is very good. Um, There's a scene in this movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger, in what feels like the worst parody of a Rocky training, like blend eggs and drink them (laughs) like montage, where Arnold Schwarzenegger concocts a smoothie Made out of (laughs) Pepto-Bismol, Chinese food, coffee, beer, and a slice of pizza he picks up off the kitchen floor. Disgusting. I also want to nominate this movie for Best Piss. That's right. That's what I said. I'm never going to say this on this podcast again, I would imagine. But there's a moment in this movie where the devil um, kills someone by literally pissing on a wall in an alley or out on the street somewhere. And then his (laughs) piss has the properties of like napalmed up gasoline, apparently because he lights it, blows up a car, (laughs) kills a main character. It's um, also ridiculous and disgusting again. So just like with slasher villains, where they need a certain walk, like that's one of the things we really focus on with the actors who play Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees, etc., is how they move. And devil or portrayals of devils, they have that, too. I noticed a lot of the top performances here have their own certain kind of walk. It's very slithery, which makes sense from the snake reference. Gabriel Byrne does a really, really good job of exuding that menacing magnetism that you'd want in a, in a good on-screen Satan. And he also moves with authority and power, even though part of that is because he's walking through special effects that clearly aren't anywhere near him. So he's got a lot of confidence walking through explosions he clearly can't see as an actor. So good performance, bad movie, but well done to Gabriel Byrne. Next, we have Max von Sydow as Leland Gaunt in Needful Things, which I'm also going to nominate for Best Transportation or Best Devilish Transportation, I guess the award should be called, which is a black 1958 Mercedes-Benz. And I'm also going to nominate this movie for Best Extended Cut, out of all the movies we're going to talk about. There's a very interesting extended cut that at least the last time I checked was pretty rare and a little hard to get, even though I found it on YouTube. Um, And this is the only version of this I saw. I actually missed Needful Things when it first came out. I read the book, but I hadn't seen uh, the movie at first. So I've only seen the extended cut, which starts with an incredible chase sequence with this car just giving zero f's about what it's running over whether it's on the road or not on the road uh, who it might kill it's a pretty remarkable scene and and really really well done the extended cut i believe was because the movie although it didn't do that well i believe was being turned into a mini series and instead of doing a mini series with it they basically create took one hour of footage that didn't make it into the original, or maybe even more, because I think they were going for like basically like a four-hour like like it from the 90s um, situation. And the last award I'll nominate this for is best devilish shoutout to Twin Peaks coffee and pie. There's a great scene where Leland is in a Diner, and he is just enthusing, like in his sinister way, about the deliciousness of the pie he just had and the coffee he's having, which reminded me a lot of Kyle McLaughlin in Twin Peaks, uh, with a similar charm, honestly. This is a very, very charming devil, and he needs to be because he's selling needful things to Castle Rock, to the citizens of Castle Rock in an attempt to um, get them to turn on each other um, by manipulating the payments so that they're pranking each other. Um, This is a really, really good movie, a great performance. Um, Oh, I'll give this another award, (laughs) just uh, improvised here. Um, Worst and only use of the word wussy by a devil on film. Um, that really took me out of the moment, hearing that come out of the great Max Vonsito's mouth. Um, but, of course, the flaw with this one, I think, is it, it basically ends the same way The Stand with The Trash Can Man. Just This is just another version of The Trash Can Man here. Um, I, Stephen King likes to blow things up to end them in the early part of his career. Um, and it, it's pretty tired by this point. But there's a great performance by Ed Harris and Bonnie Bedelia and just a really good all-around cast. Great atmosphere. Really, really well done film. Next in the voting is the oldest film on our list. And I love when old films uh, pop in here and make themselves known because I love the classics. So this is F.W. Murnau's Faust from 1926 and the actor is Emil Emil Jannings playing um Mephisto basically the devil of course. Um I think this might be the best movie on the entire list, the only one I think of off the top of my head that is rivals it to me is Angel Heart. Um, it's an incredible film. It's a silent film, but the visuals are absolutely stunning. I think that if I like downloaded this film on like an iPad or something and went out to the woods at, you know, 3 AM and tried to watch this movie, I would be freaked out. And this movie is more than a hundred years old. I'm also going to nominate this movie for hardest working actor. Um, of all the devil performances we're dealing with because, I mean, they just made movies in a different way back then. You had to stand in front of smoke machines for hours and hours and days on end. You had to, I mean, there was no green screen. There was no like laid back way to do the things they were doing. And this is a pretty special effects, heavy film for its time. Um, Absolute flat out masterpiece, really chilling performance by uh, Emil Jennings. Even though it's a little on the corny side in parts, um, there are great visuals. There's one, maybe one of my favorite sequences of anything we would talk about here, where um, Faust calls up Mephisto, right? summons the devil. And when the devil first appears, of course, Faust is out in the woods. He's got like the typical circle and pentagram situation going on, rings of fire. Shooting into the sky, it's incredible. And uh, when the devil finally does appear, Faust chickens out and changes his mind and tries to run away. And everywhere he runs, he just keeps seeing the devil sitting with glowing eyes in the darkness, wearing a cap or hat. And every time Faust runs a different direction, he keeps passing the devil, and the devil just takes his hat, tips his hat to him. Nothing else. Just you, just telling him. You can't outrun me. (laughs) There's no escaping me. Once I'm called, I'm yours and you're mine. It's a great sequence. Next, we have Walter Houston in The Devil and Daniel Webster. It made me a little sad to see this so low down in the voting because it is an incredible film. An incredible film. And an incredible performance as well. I'll nominate this one for Best Final Shot. Of any of the Devil movies. The final scene of this movie is the Devil temporarily defeated, having lost in the verses to Daniel Webster part of the situation, um, outside the farm where he had tried to uh, win his court battle against Daniel Webster to harvest the soul he was owed. And he's thinking about what to do next, he's checking his list. And then he looks right, then he looks left, then he looks straight into the camera, straight into your eyes, the viewer, gives a little smile and points directly at you. That's right. You're next. It's amazing. He plays this role with demonic trickery and effortless power. There are scenes where He's, people are, someone's throwing objects at him to try to harm him or bring him down, and he swats them away with less effort than you would take to swat away a fly. It's a very confident performance. This movie's got haunting, depressed the ghosts. It's got inc- comedy. It's got a great subplot, uh, which is a basically a love story. Just a really unique film. A little higher in the voting than that is Elizabeth Hurley in Bedazzled. Um, one of the things that I like about this vote is there are different facets to playing the devil. And like the last movie with Walter Houston as Scratch, where he's really having a good time trying to corrupt human beings, the, the devil having fun is something really highlighted in Bedazzle. Elizabeth Hurley is just having the best time screwing with Brendan Fraser and, and, and doing her devil stuff. She's obviously not very scary or intimidating. It's not a horror movie at all. But because Brendan Fraser is so good at playing sensitive, um, it does make her a little bit intimidating at the points where she has to really turn on him because he's just so scared. All right. Now we're getting into the upper tiers of the voting where it's hundreds and hundreds of votes and. And the first one here is Dave Grohl in Tenacious D, In the Pick of Destiny. This also is nominated for the award for Best Devilish Pelvic Thrusts, I suppose. Um, And Best Rock Off, of course. And the thing here, it's impossible to be serious about this movie, I'm not going to try, but... The thing that's really cool here is, what. remember, we're looking for elements. What elements did a great performance of the devil hit, right? We've got the fun part. We've got the scary part. And now here we have the charisma. I mean, Dave Grohl just has so much natural charisma. And you need a charismatic devil. And that is definitely coming through here. And speaking of charisma... A few hundred votes ahead of that, higher, is uh, Jack Nicholson in The Witches of Eastwick. Now, one thing you sometimes get in devil performances is spectacular monologues. There's one we're going to talk about coming up. I bet you probably already know which movie I'm talking about as I say this. But this movie also has a truly demented monologue in the church scene with Jack Nicholson. And this is another facet of the devil, probably the best version of this facet that we've seen on screen, which is sex. Lust is one way Satan corrupts mankind, and who better to portray it than Jack? Next, we have Rosalinda Santana in The Passion of the Christ, and I'm going to nominate this for best use of the least. There isn't much going on with this performance besides a few lines of dialogue a lot of just staring at Jesus like he's a snack that Satan just wants to devour. And a creepy, old, young, baby, horrifying <laughs> visual that Satan's carrying at one point. But it's a very minimal situation. It's hypnotic to watch, though. I rewatched the scenes with her in them recently. And I found myself just re-watching it a few times, even though nothing was happening. Because I felt a chill on the back of my neck, watching, and I couldn't figure out how the movie or the performance was doing it. Um, some of it is the coloration; it's beautifully shot. It it reminds, it's like social network color, if that makes sense, but bluer, maybe like more, maybe closer to those deep blues that you get in like '70s or '2000s era horror movies. Yeah, now that I think about it, it's kind of shot in the ring vision. Okay, there were a lot of votes for Tim Curry in Legend, but there was also a lot of ferocious arguments about whether that was even the devil. So clearly an amazing performance, but I'm going to skip past it because um, the consensus in the voting was that it wasn't exactly the devil, so we'll just leave that aside. But great performance and great look, great design, obviously. All right, we're at the top five, and I am shocked— Shocked. The most shocking thing about this entire vote was that in fifth place came Al Pacino in The Devil's Advocate, which also gets nominated for Best Monologue, as we mentioned before, and clearly is the winner, and Best Wall Art, <laughs> for sure. The mural behind Pacino in the climactic scenes. Uh, is just really, really remarkable. I mean, doesn't hold up that well as a special effect, but as a design itself, it's just really cool. I kind of expected this performance to win the voting, or at least come in second place. To so to find it at fifth is pretty startling to me. Um, it's obviously a great performance. It's obviously super campy in parts, but I think after rewatching it, the, the it's not really doing a slice of anything unique in terms of devil traits, like we've been trying to break down in this episode. What really struck me on the rewatch was that he's also playing a lawyer. Like this is a law saturated character. And that means it's sort of inventing a devil trait of its own that you don't find basically anywhere else. I mean, the Devil is obviously a little legalistic with his contracts and all, but still, it's bizarre how much of the emphasis was put on that in this, and it, it's kind of weird. Next, we have Angel Heart and the performance of Robert De Niro as Louis Cipher. Even your name is a dime store joke. Also going to nominate this uh, movie for Best Egg, And best music, the music in Angel Heart is incredible. And also an award for best most evil plot. So I'm going to do spoilers for this one. So skip to the next movie if uh, you don't want this spoiled for you. But the plot of this might be the single evilest thing uh, the devil character has ever done on film. It's some of it's just implied. You got to dig at it to see how absolutely horrifying it is. But basically, a semi-famous singer named Johnny Favorite, back in the day, I don't know, it's like around World War One, maybe two, something like that. It's like twenties era. It's a very film noir, horror noir kind of feeling movie. Um, Johnny Favorite has try has made a deal with the devil to get famous, and now he wants to get out of it. So he basically cuts the heart out of an innocent person and tries to transplant himself into the person to hide from the devil in another human being. Like the tagline for the thing said, man is the warmest place to hide. Well, Johnny favorite things that man is the sneakiest place to hide when you're trying to get out of paying your due to the devil. The problem with this plan, as far as I can tell is that uh, I don't know if he anticipated this outcome or not, but he ends up due to war having shell shock or amnesia and doesn't remember who he was. So he's escaped from the devil temporarily, but not as Johnny favorite anymore as Harry Angel, who is played by Mickey Rourke. And that is one of the magnificent things about this movie is there is a straight up acting duel happening between Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro through this movie. I mean... I want you to think about a Western when you see the scene with the two of them in it, whether it's the two of them first meeting or the two of them in the church, which is a crazy good scene with Robert De Niro doing all kinds of like prissy. Oh, watch your language. We're in church. Don't say anything bad in the church, which is hilarious and, and, and just amazing coming from the devil himself. But it really is watching two gunfighters in an alley approaching each other. They are definitely throwing acting punches at each other. And it is glorious to behold. Anyway, so Johnny Favorite has now escaped from the devil with amnesia. And the devil has come up with this way to punish him for daring to think that he could get out of a contract by finding Harry Angel who's now like a low order private detective and hiring the new Johnny Favorite to find himself to find Johnny Favorite and he's roaming around the movie uh, Mickey Rourke searching for himself and inter- interrogating possible you know people who know Johnny Favorite who know where his whereabouts are who participated in the plot with him and he's murdering them without knowing it, without remembering that he's doing it. And to have someone hunt themselves down to be damned for eternity by their own hand, by the fact that they track themselves down, ends in this amazing moment where um, Mickey Rourke is re- refusing to accept that he's really Johnny Favorite and that he's really damned forever. And he keeps crying and 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 moaning out i know who i am i know who i am it's an incredible moment and de niro plays it perfectly which showing just the absolute like cat playing with a wounded animal glee in his face watching the realization dawn on Harry angel that he is no angel at all I probably put this movie in my top five ones that scared me the most on first watch, along with The Exorcist and The Witch and a few others. Um, Genuinely, genuinely unnerved me. I had nightmares about this movie for quite a while after seeing it. I saw it pretty young, but it's an intense ride if you haven't seen it. All right, we only have a few left. These are the top choices. So we have Viggo Mortensen in the prophecy and I also nominate this for best line reading the moment when he hisses out I love you more than Jesus is just (laughs) bone chilling again he moves in that predatory way that we were talking about with some of the others like uh, Gabriel Byrne and NFTs. so his his motions his body language are terrifying the calm I think is the most unsettling thing about the way he's portraying the devil in this one. He's just very matter of fact. When he's talking to Virginia Madsen, she doesn't want to talk to him. He says some really vile stuff. Like it's the most normal thing in the world. Like this is every other thought he has is the, the most disturbing thing you could possibly imagine is like the most normal minute to minute thought that is in this devil's brain. This performance, weirdly, for basically what is a B-movie, might also be the most interesting one theologically. He has the most internally consistent reason, this devil does, for what he's doing and why. And what his definitions are of what is evil and what is good are pretty mysterious but they also really you can tell strongly make sense to him which is why he can drop just absolutely devastating logic bombs on people or other angels in this case like when he turns to gabriel christopher walken's character in this movie and says this war you're initiating on earth you're doing it out of arrogance and arrogance is evil and that's mine He's basically telling him, you're underqualified <laughs> compared to me to be doing what you're doing. I'm going to take this off your hands and shut you down. Incredible. All right. We're at the number ones. I'm going to give you the number one from the voting and then my personal number one, which, believe it or not, didn't receive a single vote out of thousands, which actually isn't that surprising to me, but we'll get to that. The number one in terms of voting by miles was peter stormer in constantine which i'm also going to nominate for best devilish entrance this is the best introduction to lucifer on screen of all time now even though peter isn't on screen that much in this movie it's weird it it actually makes so much sense that this is number one because i think it's the best balanced it's the best synthesis of the elements of the devil we've been talking about this whole time. Like the movie Faust, the devil there benefits from great visuals. The visuals in this movie are incredible. Like Elizabeth Early and Bedazzled where the devil's having a lot of fun, this devil is going about some grim work but is doing it with a lot of fun and flair. Literally, when he's trying to drag um, Constantine to hell, he's whistling at one moment. Um, You can tell he's just having the best time in parts. Like Vigo in The Prophecy, this devil is also absolutely frightening, truly belongs in a horror setting. Like Nicholson in Witches, this devil has just crazy charisma. Like Needful Things, this movie benefits from an amazing cast. Keanu Reeves, who was also, he's starring in two of our top five movies here, so he definitely has a good devil connection. But Tilda Swinton is mind-bogglingly good in this movie. Almost as scary as the devil himself. So Constantine was the clear winner. Oh, whoops. I mean, it's the winner. We're doing this live, people. Um, I skipped one somehow. It was actually, I think, fourth place in the voting. I got my order wrong was Black Phillip from The Witch, of course. Now, there's almost no screen time for this devil. (laughs) Sorry to backtrack here, but I can't leave this out because there was a lot of voting for this. And a lot of people felt passionate about it, even though there's a lot of people who hate this movie. Um, But really, this might be the best portrayal I mean Peter Stormare was the best performance maybe I tie it with Vigo but like in terms of portrayal not the performance but it seems almost the most believable like this really would be how the devil work you don't know where he actually is you don't know who he's actually possessing You're unsure the whole time. Then he sneaks up on you from behind and whispers manipulative things in your ear. And next thing you know, you're lost without ever really laying eyes on him in his true form. And I got to nominate this one for the award for actor with the most attitude. (laughs) I've read some hilarious interviews with cast members and the director, Robert Eggers, about how hard the goat or goats playing back Black Phillip were to work with apparently just the most ill-tempered and hostile animal they possibly could have brought on set, which is kind of perfect for this, but I've covered this on a previous podcast, so I'm not going to go over it in detail again. It's just, I saw the witch at probably one of the lowest moments in my life. I saw it in a theater. It was a very, very dark time for me. And, um, I watched the movie shred the audience. There were walkouts. There were people fighting in the lobby after they left the movie, arguing about how much they hated it, how much they felt like it wasted their time. I heard one uh, couple leave, and they were talking about how the, the girlfriend was saying she wasn't gonna sleep for days because she was so rattled and scared. It's a really dark hearted, hostile film. I think it gets a lot of crap from horror fans who don't like certain ones who don't like slow burn or their expectations were set in a totally different place when they went in to see it. But just speaking for myself, it was my favorite horror movie of the last 10 years. It was truly a terrifying experience for me. It was weirdly helpful, considering the time I was going through. And it seems to me the most realistic in terms of how the devil would actually work. All right, and now to my personal number one best portrayal of the devil on film, which as I mentioned, received not a single vote. (laughs) It's Emmanuelle Seigner in The Ninth Gate. Now, I'm guessing because she, her character is credited in the movie as the girl, that the reason this received no votes is no one thinks that she's playing the devil. They think she's playing a demon, like a Pazuzu situation, or a witch of some kind. But it was pretty clear to me that not only was she playing the devil... But the movie is so much more magnificent if she is. And I'll tell you the reasons why. So first of all, the first time you see her character, the, you're literally hearing the line of dialogue of some Balkan, uh, Frank frankly character, saying the uh, representation of evil for now. You're literally hearing this line <laughs> when the camera first lays lens on her character. The next time you see her is on a train sequence. So Johnny Depp is consulting or poring over sketches in a in a sinister necronomicon type book and he sees the signature LCF which stands for Lucifer and the movie immediately cuts to Emmanuel Segner. Now the next time you see her she's in a lobby and she is reading what is the most hilarious possible book to put in the hands of the devil herself. The book she's reading is How to Win Friends and Influence People. And then in the most glorious moment, maybe in the history of portraying the devil on film, near the end of the movie, you have a ritual being done by a cult trying to raise... The devil, and it's a very eyes wide shut situation. Fancy European mansion, um, candles, and you know occult objects, and a lot of chanting. Very devil rides out kind of vibe. And they're halfway through the ceremony of summoning the devil, and Emmanuel Signer with Johnny Depp just strolls in, just strolls right into the room. So they're like halfway through the ritual of trying to call the devil forth, and the devil just has walked in already there. You don't need this ritual. <laughs> like she's you, Finishing it is pointless. She's already there, but they keep going because they have no idea. It is the only time I've ever seen in the history of satanic cinema where, so, or where there's a group doing, or a person like for the Faust situation, doing a ritual to summon a devil who's already in the room. Now, the thing to know here is in a DVD commentary, the director said that Emmanuel Segner's character was the devil. So case closed. But I don't think that's general knowledge. And because the character is female and because we have so few examples of that besides bedazzled, I think a lot of people just miss it on that very, you know, right under our noses kind of uh, assumption mistake. But now that you know, if you didn't, that this character is Lucifer and you go back and watch the movie with that in mind, you will see that she is playing this character with the, the most amazing, cold confidence. Just an absolute assuredness that things are going to go to plan. And the plan is bad for everyone but one character and horrible, awful things and deaths happen in this movie. But the plot itself is also really unique in satanic cinema as well. What do I mean by that? Well, in most satanic cinema, you have the devil trying to corrupt uh, humans or bring about, you know, the end times or an apocalypse of some kind. And all of this is going to be bad for everyone but the devil and maybe the devil's followers, obviously. But in this one, you have the devil basically corrupting someone upwards, not downwards, not breaking them down the way Regan's gradually dissolving in The Exorcist or Rosemary is losing her sanity in Rosemary's Baby or the way Mickey Rourke's soul is being reclaimed in Angel Heart. In this situation, you have a sort of middle-tier character, very smart Johnny Depp, very capable, but basically a petty criminal. And he's gradually getting promoted upwards in terms of evil. His skills are getting revealed to be better and better and more ambitious at the dark side. And the devil is fostering that from behind the scenes in a very subtle and almost gentle way. There's a really creepy... Um, pattern of exchanges that happen here between Johnny Depp and the girl where um, there's choices to be made. There's a moment where they're chasing um, someone who's stolen the occult book from them and they're in obviously a red sports car, a la bedazzled in this incredible European countryside. And they lose their prey. They lose the car that they're chasing. It goes out of sight for a minute, and then they get to a crossroads, and they're sitting at a crossroads. That's devil territory uh, exemplar. And she, who's driving the car, the devil, turns to Johnny Depp in the passenger seat and looks left and looks right and says, you choose. And he says... No, you choose. You seem to know everything. And she says, if you say so. And there are many moments. I think it happens three or four times in this movie where she leaves it up to him. He says something. And then she says back, if you say so. It's like you have to invite a vampire in. They can't just walk into your house. It's like she's letting him up level in in evil, basically, or she's empowered by the partnership somehow growing off the, the feeding off the growth of evil inside of him. It's very, very sinister. It's very cool in this movie that her powers only seem to run one way. And it's a great touch by which I mean, When they have to climb into buildings or get higher in any kind of uh, situation, like go up a tower or scale a wall, she climbs it normal style. But when she has to descend, she can fly. It's a fallen angel who can only have power heading down. And the movie's payoff benefits from the fact that she plays all of this with such cool, a plum. she's very very confident um rarely registers any surprise obviously or um shock at anything just uh it's all going to plan she, she it's the devil she knows what she's doing she's good at her job but at the end when there's a scene with basically what's walls of hellfire behind her and she's just showing an absolute maniacal gree- glee and at the victory on her face um, because everything that came before was so controlled. The unleashing of this absolute satanic joy is very, very ominous for a character that was as tightly psychologically controlled as Hannibal Lecter was to unleash this energy all at once at the end and then dial it back again with a very calm last moments on screen where she basically vanishes into thin air during a cross-country ride, dropping one last clue to Johnny Depp's character that he needs to up-level to become basically the husband and of the devil and father of possibly the Antichrist. I'm telling you, this performance is magnificence itself. So that is our episode on the best portrayal of the devil on the screen. Sorry that there was probably less Little Nikki than you expected. <laughs> Harvey Keitel only got 13 votes, what can I say? Our podcast only has 14 ratings so far on iTunes. We really like to get it up to around the 666 number. So if you could uh, drop a helpful review there, it would be absolutely appreciated. Thanks for joining us. And a special thanks to everybody who participated on the Facebook, Instagram, and Mastodon pages. We can't do this without you. The votes and the conversations there are what really is motivating us to do this at all. This podcast is a radio station for the community. So to anyone who participated, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Until next week. Have a great horror week.